Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast where Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, get down and dirty with the nitty gritty of this crazy industry we're in of self-publishing, writing, becoming an author and everything to do with that. And today we have a very special guest and a very special guest, somebody I'm delighted to talk to, J.P. McLean, who of course writes uh, supernatural and urban fantasy books. I have actually worked very closely with her. I love what she's doing. I'm super excited to hear what you have to to tell us today uh so how are you doing i'm doing great thanks the weather's nice outside and it's a terrific time to be on your podcast <laughs> i hear you I'm, I'm trying to trying to excuse my kids while i'm not taking them to the pool but we also have the man himself the founder and owner of hidden gems books and an author himself craig touch how are you doing today craig I'm doing well. It's really overcast over here. So I'm definitely okay with being inside. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, agreeing to come on, uh, JP. It is definitely something that, uh, you know, we're excited about because often um, we've done at least one uh, back when we first started sort of um, podcast that was almost like a case study kind of thing where we talk about something that is of interest to authors, but also sort of talk to somebody who's specifically done it, has some results that they can sort of share at least at a high level so that people um, see what kind of like before and after they they get. So um, in your case, you know, uh, and we'll get into this, but, you know, you have this this book that was doing, you know, not as well as you thought it should do. You changed a bunch of things, title, cover, blurb, and now all of a sudden it's doing, you know, way better. So, you know, let's talk about that. And, you know, first of all, like, why don't you let us know a little bit about what you write and and what the book was and what sort of like uh, made you think, you know, it was time to make a change. Well, thank you. Um, one of the things that I want to mention, especially with this uh, podcast, is how how important and how nice it is to be part of this uh, writing community, because uh, we all give back. We all pay it forward and we share our stories and we share our resources. And I just love that about this community. So I just wanted to say that right up front. Um, Absolutely. Yes. So that's exactly why we do it. You know, yeah. I love that's it's the aspect good. of it I love as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so this book came out in 2012 originally, the first book. And uh, it was the first book that I had written. And I had not expected that I would have a, a career in writing. So uh, I was very, very new to this. And when the book came out, um, I, I made uh, many, many mistakes. <laughs> Um, and I really came to understand after about five years, I came to understand what that concept of you don't know what you don't know really means, because I thought when the book first came out, um, first of all, I titled it Awakening, which was the theme of the book, which was not a very good title in the end. And I'll explain why in a minute. Um, and then uh, the other thing I did was I had a very strong opinion about what I wanted the cover to look like. And um, turns out uh, my opinion is is not very uh, good for book sales and not very genre focused. I also thought that having a beautiful cover was a uh, a bonus. And I thought that having a cover that kind of stood out from the rest was also a really good thing to do because people would notice it because it was different and beautiful and all of those things were wrong. Absolutely all of those things were wrong. And I, it took me a long time to figure that out. But there were hints right from the very beginning that I completely ignored because my friends and family told me how gorgeous the cover was and how beautiful it was and how terrific 
the cover was and I um, couldn't agree more. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I hired um, a graphic designer, not a book cover designer, a very talented graphic designer, I got to say, because she really did a, a bang up job of making a beautiful cover that stood out from all of the others. <laughs> and so what I finally came to realize, uh, I finally had to hear what people were saying, because people had told me all along, I had questions, are these books religious? Or is the book at the, at the beginning, it was just the book, but then every year I put another book out, and they all had equally beautiful covers and equally religious titles. So theme titles, Awakening was the first one, Revelation was the second one, Redemption was the third one, and Penance was the fourth one. And so those were all the themes of the book and the titles, and they were very religious. And people kept asking me, are the books religious? And I kept saying, no, why would you think that? And there was nothing about the cover that said anything differently than what the title of the book was, because you've got Revelation, you've got a beautiful foresty scene cover, um, no figures, no people in, on the covers, which as soon as I... I ha I went. I was selling the books at a market here on Demon Island, and some fella came up to me and he says, "My name is Frank, and I want to be frank with you. My wife just bought one of your books, and it wasn't exactly what we were expecting." And he said, "I've been to this market several times, and I've avoided your stall because I thought you were selling religious material, and it wasn't what I was interested in." And so after I heard that, I had to have a good sit me down. <laughs> <laughs> with my ego and say, mm, this is not working and you've got to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there's so much to unpack there and I'm glad, I'm glad that you figured it all out like on your own. Um, it's something that uh, Roland and I talk to authors about all the time and definitely covered a lot of this uh, in, in the blog and on, on other podcasts, but um, you know, the idea of, like making sure that you're targeting the right audience that you've, you know, uh, put together a cover that, um, you know, a lot of people do what you said, like, you know, they, they want it to fit what they have in mind and they want it to look great. They want it to stand out from everyone else's be different, you know, and I get that, but um, there's a reason why, you know, a lot of those, uh, a lot of the books in different genres have similar sort of kind of covers, right? the the books in the top list, right? Because that's what people are expecting. It sort of tells the reader that the author knows the genre enough to, uh, you know, to cater to what they're looking for. And, you know, it just, it just helps in general, right? So um, when you're a huge name author that has a massive audience of your own, you can take all sorts of chances and do all sorts of different things, right? But when you're starting out, you, you don't want to uh, rock the boat too much you want to sort of like find your audience first do what you need to do to get that audience to, to hit the right people and uh and bring them in and so i'm glad that you figured that out and you know like you said a graphic designer can make a beautiful cover but they don't understand what makes a good book cover they don't understand the genre of your book so they don't know what is needed like i'm sure if that author did know they could probably put together a great cover if they really understood all that but you know if they don't you know you, you end up with a pretty picture but <laughs> but not necessarily a great book cover so yeah it's 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 really good and and that's the other thing too that the fact that you know you you talk to that person and he sort of explained to you too that um just like the way you know this it was giving off this religious overtone like sometimes uh a book doesn't do well 
because not because there's anything wrong with the book, but that you've you've sort of accidentally targeted targeted it at the wrong audience. And it sounds like that's also was one of your issues. So, you know, kudos to you to, for figuring that out. A lot of people just never do, right? Well, thank you. It was a long process. And by the time I had figured it out, I had the fifth book written, um, but didn't want to put it out uh, with the, uh, I should say I had the sixth book written because I had um, five, I had four or five. Anyway, it's, it doesn't matter. It, it became an expense issue because to change the covers and to hire a professional cover designer and have to do four or five covers at the same time becomes an expense that is a little bit prohibitive. Um, but nonetheless, I, I took the plunge. And um, at the same time, I, I had learned enough about the um, the marketing of the books to know that it would be very helpful to have my cover in various formats. So not only in the ebook and print version, but I also wanted the marketing material that went with it. So I wanted the cover without the print on it. I wanted some banners and some 3D images. And this was before there were um, 3D images that you could create yourself for free. And I certainly didn't have the tech skills to do it. And so you know, it, it took it took a while to find a cover designer that was willing to do all that and provide all that for me. I understand that's kind of standard procedure now, but back then it wasn't. And so I was tickled to find um, a company called JD&J Designs. They did a wonderful job. As a matter of fact, the cover that they redid for the first book, which was originally called Awakening, which is now Secret Sky, that book won best um, book cover for the fantasy genre in Kobo for the year it came out in 2018. So I knew right then I had the right people for the books because they did a great job. Right. And that was, that was the new cover, right? So uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 And the thing that the other thing about, uh, I mean, changing covers is easy. I don't mean um, like, I mean, that part of it was easy, but changing titles is not easy. You lose all your reviews when you change titles, you have to get a new ISBN for each of the formats and you pretty much say goodbye to everything that happened prior to you putting it out with its new, um, new title. So that's something that was a a painful thing because every single review, you know, felt like I was pulling teeth to get. So um, that was hard to do. But I did. um, And and this is a a little plug for you guys, because I did hire you to uh, for the review service for um, Secret Sky. And I got some terrific reviews as a result of that. So that's another thing that I picked up along the way is how important reviews are. And um, so I needed to get those reviews up on that book as soon as possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, reviews versus no reviews definitely makes a difference, right? People compare a book if they have two that they're trying to figure out between and one has reviews and one doesn't. I mean, the one with reviews is is going to um, usually be the one they pick, right? It's that social proof that other people have tried it. And I mean, as long as the reviews aren't like horrible across the board, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, all things being equal, it, you know, it definitely helps. But you can't, the reviews won't help if the people aren't clicking through in the first place. And the thing that draws their eye first is, is a good cover, right? Mm-hmm. So once you made that change, I'm sure that brought more people to see, you know, then to see the blurb and then to see the, uh, you know, the reviews, right? They don't know about yeah. those until they've right. done that. Did you, so, and you changed the blurb around the same time, I guess? I, I changed the blurb because just like you say, the cover draws them in and then the very next thing they do is they, they read the blurb and my blurbs were um, not grabby. And that's another thing that I learned was that I'm not very good at blurbs. 
In fact, I'm not very good at blurbs at all. I think blurbs are the most difficult thing for any author to write because they're so close to the book. Yeah, absolutely. Summarizing it is is ridiculously hard. And um, and Roland, you came up with a blurb for this one, which I thought was just stellar. It's uh, everyone wishes they could fly until they can, <laughs> which I think is just terrific. But um, the the writing the blurb is that's copywriting, and that is completely different from writing prose. Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because I come from an advertising copywriting background. I mean, I've been writing since I was nine, but I was writing radio commercials as my first job and like all the way along. So it's interesting to see it sort of viewed as copywriting. But I, I think it's so amazing the the changes that you made and how much more on point they all are. Everyone's talking about you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But I think on Amazon, everyone judges a book by its cover. And there's this weird this weird thing, I always say it's like James Bond goes to the ambassador's reception and he wears a black tie, a tuxedo, right? Everyone's wearing a tuxedo because that is the the dress code. And I think to have a book in a genre, you have to have certain elements match what is consistent among the top 100. So with thrillers, it's like 80% of them have sans serif text, normally in white. They have a shadowy figure here, a, uh, a, a sort of vignette around it. It's almost like you can identify all of the elements by numbers. Yeah. But at I, the same time, you have to have a dress code. You want to be like James Bond and stand out by ma- meeting the dress code, but at the same time, looking just a little different, a little more polished, which is the, the impossible thing to, to achieve. Oh, yeah. I, I remember going in, uh, putting my book into a book funnel um, freebie giveaway that authors use for promotion. And when the poster came out, um, it was a poster, and this was the old cover. So the poster had all of the book covers. So it was a really clear idea of what all the urban fantasy or supernatural books were. Mine was the only one that didn't have a figure on the front. So big big alarm bells going off i should have seen that a mile away but i didn't uh, yeah i mean it's not necess- it's not something necessarily that's intuitive to people and i think also the way the publishing industry has changed has has altered that forever because i mean i don't know about you but when i was a kid i read books because they were recommended to me by, by, by my parents so they were the books that people were writing reviews about in newspapers because it was all done through traditional publishing and now self-publishing has opened things up to so many more people but the way people identify and find books is completely different and i think even traditional publishers haven't got their heads around that yet yeah no it's true it's true people go on to these these sites and they're flipping through covers that's what they're doing even the the feeds on instagram it's all about cover yeah makes it, yeah. Makes a big difference but like you say the and next that, thing they do is they pick it up and they read the back so that's got to be the next thing that you really have to concentrate on and that has to be just perfect it's almost like a journey it's weird it's like people are scrolling through amazon they see a cover that interests them they click on that then next it's the blurb and each one takes them closer to that pressing the buy now button and then the look inside i think a lot of authors overlook the look inside because they go there to see the first page and that's where they're like oh i like this person's writing style i like that it's first person perspective if they spot a typo in the look inside that's a killer and that's going to turn them off. It's like every single thing is a step close to that by now, and you have to get them all right, and it makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just to talk numbers for a little bit, um, the sales that I did some numbers just before coming onto the onto the program here today, and um, the the new book cover, the new title, everything came out in 2018, and my sales from 2012 to 2017, um, though that total, I doubled that in every year since 
So, uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. This book has done really well since having new covers and new titles and new blurbs written for them. So uh, it definitely makes a huge difference. And I think if you're a writer and you think your book is worthwhile, you're getting good reviews and people are enjoying it, you're not getting crap reviews anyway, then um, you should invest in it. Invest in whatever you need to do to get it to be at the level it needs to be because there is uh, there are sales to be made out there. Absolutely. And I think I think that's the thing people don't appreciate. I, we get asked all the time to, to give uh, advertising advice. And at the end of the day, the biggest piece of advertising advice is if you don't have a product people want to buy, it doesn't matter how much you advertise it, you're, they're not going to buy it. But if you have a product people do want to buy, even if it just means you're making one cent more in royalties than you're spending on advertising, then from that point, you're making a profit and the world is your oyster. So if you can get the elements that you've got right, it makes advertising something that could actually transform your career. But if you haven't got that right, you can spend all the money in the world in advertising and you will still never make it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and it is. And there's ways uh, to tell you know what the various problems are right like with your ads if you if you're a lot of people are looking at your ads and not clicking then the problem is with your ad if they're looking at your ads and clicking but not buying the problem is with your uh you know your metadata your your cover your blurb or whatever else right so there's there's those various levels where you could sort of narrow down the issue but yeah. uh, I think you know you hit it on the head when you when you're talking about putting a person on the cover. I, I think you know for for your genre it's important as well. And but I know like I see this all the time with romance authors. Um, you know, romance is is about people. You know, it's a romance between two people. And when they have a cover that has no people on it whatsoever, it's it's a difficult thing to sell. Like it could be a very beautiful cover, but you know you're selling the romance, so you should show at least one of the people uh, on the. <laughs> cover um but but it's it's very important for for most genres i think to to see people on it that's because people are the ones buying it they that it creates that connection right yeah yeah but interestingly enough the um the feedback that i got it, i did get some neg- negative feedback about that first cover and the negative feedback was that's not what i thought she looked like well, that's another danger. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of people um, uh, make that comment about movies, right? When they make a movie uh, out of a successful book and people are like, well, that's not what I thought the person would look like, <laughs> you know, and and that's one of the big things. I think Harry Potter got it right. Like they, you know, Harry Potter looked exactly like I think everybody expected him to look and a lot of those characters. But a lot of the times, you know, you hear that big criticism is like, I never, that's not how I expected that the, that person looked, right? And it's hard with your cover too, because, you know, unless you're getting a cover that is um, using original artwork, most authors, especially self-published authors, are using stock art. And you can't always find somebody who looks exactly like you've described in your book in, in the pose and, the, and everything that you need for your cover. So it's sometimes there is a little bit of, um, you have to take a little bit of creative license, I guess, with, uh, with what they look like. I agree. I think that's why you see a lot of side shots and shots from the back and shots from the nose down or, or from the nose up so that you're not seeing a whole face and you still can leave a little bit to the reader's imagination. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's hard too. you know, sometimes people write these books with these characters that have all sorts of distinguishing marks or tattoos or whatever else. And then, then it's like, 
can the designer add those things in sometimes, but not always, right? So, yeah. <laughs> sure. And I think that's so part that, of it. Oh, no, I was just going to no, say, I think ahead. part of it is we conjure up the vision of what it is inside our own heads. I mean, when I design book covers, I always try and avoid having the faces specifically because of that, even though in my head, I know exactly what they look like. But to the reader, they could look completely different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say a little bit too about um, how you go about finding some of these people. And um, one of the best resources that you've got, I think, are other uh, authors in your genre. You can oftentimes take a look, even if you don't have their books, you can uh, download the peek inside. And oftentimes you'll see um, either if you get the acknowledgements or sometimes on the copyright page, they they will list their designers. So you, you can get some uh, good ideas for who uh, designed their covers uh, from that and follow them, follow them, find out who it is they're using for their blurb writing if they're not doing it themselves. I, I have some writer friends that are much better than me at doing the blurb. Mind you, anyone who didn't write the book is better at doing the blurb than you are. And um, and I, I got to give them credit for giving me the titles because I don't think I came up with one of the new titles. All of those titles came from suggestions from other people. And, and I did do a little bit of... Um, uh, when I was looking for the latest uh, title, I, I sent it out to my newsletter and I put it on my blog post. Like, okay, I'm not good at titles. So this is what I'm doing. And what do you think of these titles? And give me some more titles. And that's how we came up with the title for the latest one. So, yeah, title by committee. It's, uh, I mean, it's good. It's, it's, uh, you, know, it, you know, sometimes when I put out things in the past and you give a bunch of selections, um, oftentimes it'll be like an even split. And that doesn't really help you. Everyone's, you know, you know, thirty percent said this, thirty percent said that, thirty percent said that. I'm like, okay, I'm back to not having any idea. But, um, but yeah, I mean, oftentimes, like you said, the blurb, it's it, you're because you're so close to the book, it's hard to narrow it down to the to that sort of core that you. Oftentimes, an author will want to write just too much, right? Because they know everything about the book, and they have so much to say about it, and they're not sort of narrowing it down to the stuff that's going to grab you. And uh, you know, that's why Roland is is really good with that, with with putting together a blurb that um, can can pull in a reader and get them to want to read more. And that is, I agree, it's a skill, and I, I also agree, it's a it's a copywriting kind of advertising skill. You can be an amazing writer and not be a great blurb writer, or you can be a great blurb writer and not a great novel writer. It's hard for a lot of people to do both because it, it really is a different skill set. Yeah, and I do think I could probably do a much better job of, of writing a description for anybody else's book. Um, even I, Roland and I have worked together three times now, and even in the latest one that we did, um, I kept coming back with more wordy suggestions. <laughs> he kept saying, cut it you know you don't need to say all that you 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 know and then it was like oh yeah right okay fix that I, I was just working on another blurb actually where there's this hugely important plot element uh in this person's book involving somebody who knew the protagonist because you don't need to include that in the blurb all you need to do is just have enough in the blurb to make people want to read more so it's and i mean with secret sky it was just such an amazing amazing thing it was an amazing concept to have you know somebody who learns how to fly but actually it's not quite like it is in the movies or what was that tv show great american hero where you know he learns to fly and it's kind of a struggle this was it was really good because what you had was a really interesting idea of it being like a blessing and a curse at the same time which uh i don't know it was compelling and i think i was able to spot what i found compelling about your book in a way that perhaps you didn't because you were so close to it mm -hmm. but at yeah, the same time 
what I love about your your story is that you change the covers and you change the blurbs, but your books didn't change. The fundamentals and the idea and the concepts didn't change. And I think that's very affirming to a lot of authors to be like, no, you know what? Your book is good. It's how you market your book that's really important. Because I that's think right, people... Package. Yeah, and that's something to remember that a lot of authors sort of, I don't know if they forget or they're just not thinking about it clearly is when they... Uh, when they have poor results in terms of, of let's say, getting people to, to discover the books. And even for people that are getting people to sign up for the reviews or whatever, I hear it from authors sometimes. They're saying, well, uh, the book is really good. You know, it's won this award and it's done this. And, I, and I'm always like, well, don't forget, these people haven't read the book. This isn't a criticism of the book, right? It's a criticism or, I mean, if it's even a criticism, but it, it's it's a problem with getting the people to the book. And uh, not, you know, if you're getting bad reviews, that's a problem with the book. But getting people to sign up for it has nothing to do with the interior of the book because they don't know that yet, right? They only know the cover and the blurb and the genres and the subgenres and the, you know, they only know that stuff. And so, you know, you can't really take it as, and so it sounds like you knew that the book was solid. You didn't have to change that. So you changed the things that you did. So in terms of the numbers, like uh, just so we can break down, uh, sort of the idea of what it was that sort of, because I know you said you also, you published more books as it went, right? So to, to make sure we're sort of like comparing the right things, when when you had, um, do you know, for instance, you know, like sort of like a, like a month, you know, before you changed the cover and then the mm-hmm. month after, was that yep. a noticeable Double. bump? That doubled. Double. Okay. Doubled the month so after. That's a huge. I, yeah. Uh, mind you, um, the book came out at the end of 2018, and almost immediately, Kobo contacted me to say, "We're putting your book in the contest, and for the best cover." And I think just that happening in itself in the first month that it came out was a huge boost. So, I mean, that may have influenced. I'm sure it did influence a little bit of the sales, but it's been consistent since then as well. It's but not that's... just in a one-off month. Right, but that's only going to affect Kobo sales. And you're talking—is it? Did it double only on Kobo or everywhere? I, I actually didn't break it out into which uh, retailer. I just took the uh, the total numbers. So I'm sorry, I don't have that information broken out that way. It's just overall, I can say that they doubled. Yeah, but I, but in general, I, I'm sure you have sort of an idea. Like in general, <laughs> the sales went up even if it wasn't double or whatever. But like they went up on other sites, not just Kobo. Yes, and most yeah. of my sales are actually not through Kobo. Most of my sales right. are through Amazon. So that's and that's that's, that's standard too. Yeah, exactly. Because you could have for most authors, if you had your book on every site, and you all of a sudden only uh, doubled on Kobo, <laughs> it wouldn't double your overall sales. No. So, no. so I think when you when you're looking at your overall saying it doubled, that wasn't just from the Kobo sales. I'm no, sure. no, it wasn't. It so, wasn't. Yeah. 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 So that, that definitely tells us something. So did you also change your marketing strategy right at that point? Or was it just changing the title, the blurb and the cover? No, um, I, I did the review service, which I hadn't done mm-hmm. before. So um, but when did those reviews go live? Did they go live? Uh, like right when the cover changed? Or was it? No, they they trickled in. They trickled right. in. Um, so and pl- and plus, I put please out on my uh, website and and on my blog and on social media, just asking people who had reviewed it when it was called Awakening to please repost the reviews under Secret Skies. So, of course, they didn't come up as as verified reviews because it wasn't a purchase. But 
still I'll think, keep review. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, I don't. First of all, when somebody borrows it in KU, it doesn't show as verified either, right? So unverified doesn't really mean anything. And I'm not sure how many people pay that much attention to it. I personally think that most people look at your overall score. And it's very few that like drill in and start reading the individual reviews. And then how many of those are really saying, well, that's not a verified review. Like, I mean, you know, because <laughs> there's going to be uh, the people that leave ARC reviews, if they don't like the book, they're going to leave negative ones too. So if they're going to discount the positive unverifieds, they might as well discount the negative ones too, right? So I don't think it really makes a huge difference. But um, but yeah, if if your sales changed you know, before all that stuff even came in, then again, it points to the the actual changes of the cover and the blurb and the mm-hmm. title as the real indicators of what made the big difference. And of course, the fact that it's continuing continuing to do well, that mm-hmm. could be, um, you know, in part to all the other things that you continue to do, advertising and, uh, you know, the reviews and all that stuff. So you're saying every year it's doubled the past year? Or it's, yes, um, actually, my last year, 2021, was my best year ever for for sales for the book. So it's just gotten better and better and better. And is that just the first book or like the series in general? That's the first book, but the series as well. I mean, the the read through isn't um, 100%, obviously, it's, it's much less than that. No, but um, the, the read through improved as well. So not only did sales of book one improve but sales of book two and book three also improve by leaps and bounds so changing the covers and the blurb and the titles uh, was absolutely the right thing to do because I think it proved that the books um, are good enough to sell through and sell well and they weren't doing that before so well I mean they were barely holding on, but nothing like what I'm seeing today with the book sales. So I, I think it was uh, definitely worth the pain of going through and the expense, because it was not inexpensive to do all those books all at once. But um, that that's just, you got to do it. If you want to stay in the game. For sure. And listen, if you're going to, if you're doubling every year, like how many years until you're basically, you've got Elon Musk money. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but I think, too, uh, you're always going to see um, the increase in read through uh, as a um, as a raw number. If you're selling more book one, right, you're going to you're going to obviously mm-hmm. see more two and three. Right. But did you notice like a percentage change as well in terms of, you know, if there were 10 uh, percent of the people um, reading through before and now it's 20 uh, percent or is it yeah. the raw number increase? Yeah, well, the raw number increased. I, I didn't break it down into the percentage of people that read through from book one through to the end. Uh, but I would say that the first three books, the percentage of people who read the first three books, if you read the first one, there's between a 40 and 50% chance you're going to read the second one. And if you read the second one, the, the percentage goes way up. It's like 60 or 70% that you're going to read the third one. And I haven't done the stats on the, the other books. But um, yeah, the read through is quite strong i think uh for the, yeah for those no that's that's amazing that's i mean it, yeah and, and it, that's higher than average and i mean that tells you that you know keep writing more books in that series because if you're hooking readers it's so cheap well hopefully this is your strategy but you, you know usually what authors do is only sort of concentrate their advertising on book one right and then you sort of get that free because of the read-through you get those free sales 
by the more copies of book one you sell, the more, and so the more books in your series, assuming that they're not just tailing off because, you know, the quality, you know, obviously if you run out of ideas, you don't want to jump the shark, keep going to the, going to the well once it's run dry. But um, if, if you're still seeing that read through, the fans still want to read more. And, and that's just like, it's like printing money at that point. No, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not afraid at the printing money stage. But... Well, no, I just mean you know you're gonna you're gonna advertise book one for X amount of, of yeah. dollars, and if you have two books and your read through is you're gonna make this much, and if you have three books, it's still the same money that you're spending on book one advertising, but now you have three books, you're making more. You have four books, you're making more. You have five books, you're making more. Right? So you keep doing that until until you find that people aren't interested anymore. <laughs> I learned a trick. I learned a trick not that long ago. Um, I was on a podcast with some other writers and the question was asked about how I market the series. And I said, just what you said, I, I advertise book one, you know, I'm, I, I, I do graphics up, up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I, uh, I do ads and I put book one on for 99 cents and, you know, push, push the rest of it. And um, both writers on that program said to me, you're leaving money on the table. You need to be advertising book two and book three and up to book four. Put them on for 99 cents because you will find that your sales uh, grow as a result of that. And I was skeptical, but they both said it would work. So I tried it. I put book two on sale in June for 99 cents. And sure enough, people bought book one and two. Lots of people bought book one and two. In fact, I had sales of the entire series by putting book two on sale. So you can bet your boots I'm going to be putting book three on sale for 99 cents in the next couple of months. And uh, just to see, you know, if book two did that well, then let's put book three on sale. What was your pricing on, uh, you know, before you put it book two on sale uh, at 99 cents, what was your pricing for the for the later books? Four ninety nine. So, the so they were book, all they were all forty nine four ninety nine. Yeah, the first book uh, is Secret Sky. I keep that one at two ninety nine. So when it goes on sale, it it goes down to ninety nine cents. But all the other ones go down to ninety nine cents when I put them on sale too. Okay, so you're you're not uh, keeping book one at ninety nine cents. You're you're sometimes you go on sale, but you're still advertising it when it's two ninety nine. You're just sort of always advertising it. Yeah, I, I keep a low level Amazon ad running all the time. Right. Uh, it doesn't cost me very much money, but it keeps the book out there in the you know advertising sphere. But um, when I do advertise, I actually do stacked ads. When I put it on um, ninety nine cents, I should say I do stacked ads. So I'll I'll put it on. Um, usually, I use Bargain Booksy. Well, it, it depends on the genre, right? Which which companies you use. But for for urban right. fantasy, um, I I find Fussy Librarian works, Bargain Booksy works, and um, oh gosh, there's a third one and I can't quite remember it. Well, anyway, it will it will come to me, I'm sure. And so, have you run the numbers in the sense that um, you know, so uh, you sell say fifty percent? You had mentioned of book two when you know, for the readers from book one, right? So if you're advertising book one and and people are buying it uh, at four ninety nine. Is that making you more or less money than when you advertise book two, have to drop the price to 99 cents and then advertise book two? Are you seeing 
you know, an increase in overall income there uh, minus your advertising expenses. Like, I'm just wondering how effective it is to to do it that way uh, as opposed to just ramping up, say, your spending on book one. Because obviously, like, you definitely can, especially... So is your book, um, can they be read as standalones or you have to basically read them in order? They can be read as standalones. They're not as much fun, but they can be read as standalones. Okay, so that, that definitely helps because if, you're, if they're standalone, it's definitely easier to market later books in the series, right? It's harder yeah. when it's like... Uh, advertise book two, but you got to have read book one first or advertise book three, you've got to have read book one and two first. Um, and that's definitely where I would probably personally shy away from from even advertising those at all, really. Standalones, mm-hmm. though, yeah, for yeah, sure. You're um, right. It makes yeah, more yeah. sense. I'm just wondering, though, whether or not you're making the same amount of money as when yeah. you had them at four ninety nine, right? Well, it's interesting. Um, when I put a book on sale, I rarely make back my... Uh, cost of the ad the month that I run it so the because you're it's a 99 cent book so you're getting 30 right. cents 35 mm-hmm. cents so you're not getting a lot of um, money back on that book what you get your money back on is the read through right. so you kind of have to play it out a little longer and the other thing I've discovered about ads is if your book is 99 cents you'll get a lot of downloads a lot of sales but you won't have people reading those books right away they'll read the book they bought for $4.99 first. <laughs> so typically the 99 cent sales don't end up with read through until much later. Whereas if I sell a book for uh, full price, I can see the read through more readily on those books than I can. The 99 cent sales, like the bulk of that 99 cents, if it, if it fell into the same pattern as my normal read throughs, I would see a bulk of book twos being bought and a bulk of book threes being bought but I don't I see it trickle out over a long period of time so I think people just stack up on those 99 cent books and their kindles and at some point they figure they're going to read them whether they get around to it or not I don't know I wish they would (laughs) well they probably do if you're seeing it sort of as a delayed uh, response but you're going to sure you're going to see probably less of them it's the same with with the free right if when people put it on for free they have tons of downloads but their read through of those of those even the, just that book not never mind the rest of the series is often quite low because people do they see something go for for free and they pick it up whether they're ready to read it or even ever going to read it it's like who cares it's free right now i'll take it just in case i want to read it so mm-hmm. often you'll see you know a big spike in those in those downloads, but that doesn't necessarily translate into reads and read throughs and all that. Um, but you know, it, are you ever re- do you ever do a night a free strategy, or you stick to the nine? I have not done a free strategy. I the the only people that get the book for free are the arc readers, uh, and I yeah I don't. There's something. I, I know it works. I know a lot of people say you should put the first book for free. It's, you know, the way to go. Um, maybe you get more reviews putting it for free. And, and maybe that's something I should think about in, in future. But geez, it's, I, I find it difficult. I know I don't value things I get for free as much. Yeah, as I, yeah, exactly. I think that you have a, a better strategy. If you find that the 99 cents is working, I would stick with that. Free is like you said it's they don't they don't value it as much i don't think that you will get more reviews um because it's the same thing like you get a lot of downloads but not everyone's reading it and those people that are you know they're reading a ton of them they're not necessarily reading reviews i don't ever hear from people saying you know i got a thousand people 
you know, downloading my free book and I got tons of reviews from it. Most of the time it's the opposite. It's like, I can't believe nobody's reviewing this, even though like so many people downloaded it. Um, so I think that the people, there's other reasons to do free, but if you have a, a paid strategy that works, I would stick with that because you might as well get paid. And and like you said, it, it there's value in, in stuff that costs money and free stuff people sort of value less right and and it's the same like a lot of people use it for um you know list building mailing list building they'll put it on and they'll have it where you have to um you know submit your email address and that puts them on the mailing list and then they get the book for free but those people don't typically translate into paid uh buyers anyways so uh you know it's more of a vanity thing you're growing your list now you have thousands of people on your mailing list but like how many are opening it how many are clicking when you actually send them an email saying hey here's my new book for 4.99 no if nobody's doing it then you're really just wasting money by spending money on on mailchimp and or whatever it is to pay for that list being so big and you know it's not really worth it those people are the ones that you know maybe you can get them to be arc readers um and then say, listen, you know, I'm expecting that you might be reviewing this book if I send it to you. But um, but in general, you know, if you're expecting them to turn into buyers, I don't think it happens at a very good rate. Yeah, I, I do offer uh, one. I do have one free fee that I offer. It's not free right now. You have to buy it. But if you join my mailing list, you uh, you get it amongst a, num- a number of other short stories for free. And one of the things about the the newsletter freebie it's a novella, but it is in the same world. It's in the Secret Sky neighborhood, actually. There's a little homage to uh, the main character because the, the characters in the freebie book walk by the house with the red car in the driveway, and everyone knows their red NGB is uh, Emmeline's car from Secret Sky if they've read it. Or if they read it after, they'll recognize, oh, that's the neighborhood I was in, so... Okay, so, but here's the question. Are you, um, like, where do they find that link to to sign up for that book and get that free novella? Is it within one of the books that they already bought? Or yes, is it's it in somewhere? all of the books. Okay. Then the- that is a valid, valid strategy, right? Because now they are people that spend money, right, to mm-hmm. buy books because they had to do that to just get that. So in that sense, yes, it's a great list building strategy. I'm talking more about the people that, you know, put it up on, uh, on, um, what's that, that site that, uh, that does that, um, book funnel. Yeah. Book funnel. Right. And they put a book up on book funnel and you have to sign up for their mailing and blah, blah, blah. They, they've never heard of that author before they sign up, they get the free book and they're on the mailing list. Those people have very little value in my opinion, but the way you're doing it, that's the right way to do it. They bought the book. They do have value. They do buy books. Now you're giving them sort of a value add that puts them on your newsletter that now allows them to hear about new books that come out. And those are people that buy books. So your click-through rate and, and your open rate will be much, much higher than from people that got a book for free off of Book Funnel, for sure. Yeah. And I think we all do the book funnel thing. I, I mean, I, I certainly did that. And I found the exact same thing you're talking about. I ended up with people on my mailing list and they didn't know why they were on my mailing list. And they <laughs> yeah. off my mailing list and, uh, and they weren't opening. So that's definitely something you don't want people on your list who aren't engaged. And, you know, I right. do still have a bunch of people on my list who aren't engaged and I need to do one of those cleanup campaigns, but it's just on my TTD list somewhere down near the bottom. <laughs> Yeah, once you start getting like into the next pay tier of whatever the mailing list situation you're in, that's when it motivates you more to start cleaning up your list, right? (laughs) That's right. I totally understand that. 
Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think there's so much wisdom to be outlined here. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. We're at uh, 146, but this has been such a fascinating conversation. I think a very valuable conversation because getting the elements that you've got right make or break your career as a self-published author. Because if you have something that more people will buy than not buy when you bring them there, that's going to to enable you to scale things to all sorts of, of different levels. So I hopefully people have been listening to this and paying attention. And I can say that my own experiences have been exactly the same. I changed the blurb for a book. And suddenly the number of visitors I got that converted into sales doubled overnight. And it's such a huge, huge thing. So, oh, uh, yeah, JP McLean, that has been an amazing thing. Do you have any final final thoughts, Craig? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat where I think that this is incredibly valuable uh, for authors to hear about your experience and not just reading our uh, blogs about these issues, which, like I said, we've written a bunch of them. But when you um, put it into the perspective of a real case where the person has done these kinds of things and seen the results that you've seen, it's uh, it just it just makes people understand it in a better context than, you know, just this pie in the sky. Hey, yeah, you should do this. Yeah, sure. I should. I don't know. But it works. Right. It definitely yeah. works. And you're pretty Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, uh, thanks so much for, for being on here and, and being willing to share your story and talk a bit about your numbers and, and the things that you did wrong and that you learned to do right. Um, I'm really, really grateful that um, you're sharing that with us all. Oh, well, thank you. It's been fun being on here. Well, where can people find your books? Oh, they can find them on, they're wide, so they're available everywhere. They can find them through my website, jpmcclainauthor.com. That is awesome. We will make sure to pop a link down there below. And hopefully we could uh, maybe have you uh, on board again, because I think this is a discussion we could continue. And so, so many more things that, that uh, could be brought in to, that would, I think, really give people some valuable perspective on how they can level up, even with where they are right now in their writing career. Good. Yes. Love to. So, well, we will wrap things up. Thank you so much for joining us for this. This has been a really, really valuable uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, this has been one of the best that I've been involved with. Uh, if you are listening and you want to give JP McLean uh, some appreciation, make sure to hit that like button, leave a comment down below. If you haven't already, subscribe, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us as a podcast. And we will be back next week with another special guest and another episode of Fully Booked. Thank you so much for joining us.